This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. In the squadron, they called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Gee whiz, uh, Hawaii. What the hell is going on in Hawaii? I mean, it looks like an atomic bomb went off there. Seriously, you look at all those cars and people jumping into the ocean to avoid the flames. And I, I hear they're not exactly 100% sure how this thing started, right? They don't know how the fire started. That's, uh, man, I heard that they hadn't rained there in a while, but uh, this is really, really bad. Uh, how many? I'm surprised more people aren't dead, to be honest. The last count I heard was 36, and you you see it. It looks like a bomb. Everybody's been to Hawaii at least once, right? I mean, not everybody, but actually I was there 20 years ago, 20, 30 years ago. And um, it was all right, but I'm sorry. I'm really sorry about that. And this is, oh, yeah. So they have this big, it's like the FDR drive right by the ocean. And the fire was so intense on the land and it was encroaching on the road. So people stopped their cars and jumped in the water. And it's a good thing because the cars were incinerated. The cars were burned to little uh, crispy little boxes. Just awful. And um uh, All right. Well, we wish them the best. Keep an eye on that. Who saw the Trump interview last night? It was uh, pretty good. And um, Trump is not sure if he's going to go to the debate. There's a debate coming up. It's going to be run by Fox and uh, all the Republicans. You know, there's still like 15 Republicans running all in single digits. And (laughs) I guess DeSantis is barely in double digits, but he's still 40 points behind Trump. I mean, I think the worst thing in the world could be for Trump to go to that debate. And I think he knows it. I don't think he will. He's flirting with it. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. You know, I could go. Maybe I should talk to them. I don't know. I, I, the other day in Erie, Pennsylvania, he said, look, I could go and it would be a lot of fun, but we got to think about our country. Okay. I mean, like the idea is if I go and something bad happens, and it hurts me politically. It hurts my standing in the polls. It could really hurt the country because it could be a big setback. And if he doesn't get elected, we are in major, major, major trouble. And I don't trust any, any of these other Republicans, including and especially Ron DeSantis. I'm sorry. I see him. I see a, a little uh, assistant to uh, various billionaires and their interests. Billionaires are great. But when they have when they have uh, aspirations to flood this country, with illegals for the cheap labor and for the votes and uh, all this other crazy environmental stuff half of them want to do? No, you're not my guy. All right, cut one. Donald Trump. DeSantis is a failed candidate. If I didn't endorse DeSantis, he wouldn't have ever won. He was at, you know, he was out. Then I endorsed him, and he went up, and he was able to win. He went up massively in one night after I endorsed him. But he was a failed candidate. And you know what? He's a failed candidate again. He's got no personality. He's got nothing going, and he's he's dropped like a rock. I don't even think he's going to be two number along. I mean, somebody's going to come along like maybe Tim Scott or somebody and probably take his place. And probably this stops him in 28. You know, he could have walked into 28, maybe. 
Um, maybe in 28. Yeah, I told I told Ron DeSantis last year, don't do it. I hope it's not Tim Scott, Republican senator from South Carolina. A lot of people are talking about him, including President Trump. Tim Scott, I'm going to it might be Tim Scott as his vice president, as his vice presidential nominee. I don't think Tim is the right guy. Uh, yeah, I know he's a nice guy. I know he's black. I know uh, what else about him. I just don't think he's really that smart. I, he's just not smart enough. And I also find it kind of, you know, speaking of disloyalty, Nikki Haley, people forget Nikki Haley picked him for that job. There was a vacancy. Nikki Haley picked Tim Scott. He was congressman, nobody, and they made him a senator. A governor can do that when there's an open seat. And, and then he, after she runs for president, he's running for president? I don't know. I don't think that's cool. Uh, but I do like him. I like him more than DeSantis. I just don't think he's ready. I think he's got a ways to go. Uh, ooh, here he is uh, going off on. I mean, we've heard this stuff. We've heard a lot of this before, but you got to keep at it. you got to be relentless. On message, on message, on message. The federal government is relentless. Why can't he be relentless in response? Uh, cut two. Jack Smith. Yeah. Biden gets Merrick Garland to get Jack Smith to do these investigations of you. Deranged. He's like a deranged human being. We'll I watch this guy. Talk, yeah, what's his motivation? What's I think I think he's just a sick guy. Uh, he destroyed the lives of many people. He was overturned unanimously in the Supreme Court. I believe he's 0-5. In other words, he takes it to the end. He was involved with the IRS scandal, the big lowest learner IRS. That was him. That was his baby, mm-hmm. where the government had to end up paying money, damages, and apologies all over the place, where they went after Christians and they went after incredible people. Jack Smith, uh, he's, like a, he's like a deranged individual. And I think we're doing very well with that guy, but he is, uh, he's a sick puppy. I love it. I love the direct talk. I love that no dancing around, making sure everything's okay and setting the conditions for my statement and all that stuff. Just say it. Just say it. That's what uh, Mike Pence should have done before he started fake pumping the gas, right? Just say it. Say stuff. Say stuff. Hey, that was Eric Bowling. He did a very good job. All right. Peter Ducey. I love the guy. Um, I'm not crazy about Fox, but I do like Peter Ducey. He's the White House correspondent over there. And um, although... This was a great moment. No, this was a very, very good moment for Peter and for the country. It could have been great, but it wasn't quite great. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, uh, Joe Biden said, what the hell? I'll take a question. And he points you there. Come here. And it's uh, Peter Ducey. And uh, listen to what happens. Cut four. There's this testimony now where one of your sons, former business associates, is claiming that you... We're on speakerphone a lot with them, talking business. Is that what? I've never talked business in anybody. And I, I know you'd have a lousy question. Well, what do you? It's why is that a lousy question? Because it's not true. It's not true. Uh, you got to put it in there where he says, "Thank you, Mr. President." <laughs> he, he walks off. He, yeah, thank you, Mr. President. It's like screw you, Mr. President. And it was he really he could have even said screw you, Mr. President, the way he walked off the whole thing. Okay. Um. What about that? Oh, the problem is it's Biden is not exactly wrong in that, according to all the public testimony we have so far from Devin Archer, and we're relying on him a lot, even though I think he's holding back. That guy's been pretty clear when Joe Biden was on the phone. They did not talk business, but they did not have to. He's also been clear about that. The whole idea is access. Look, I. Hunter can get me on the phone and I'm going to talk to him and we'll all have a nice little chit chat about nothing. But the, pardon me, the message is I can and will talk to Hunter when you guys leave the room and we'll get anything you've done 
done. Um, so if, if that's the one thing he said. He, he said, you guys are talking business. I love actually how kind of casual Ducey is about this. He's so kind of, you, you look at his manner, the way he's talking, he's kind of direct. It's the way a person would talk to a person. He's not intimidated that it's the president. You know, he's just asking him, well, this is what, you know, we're they're saying. How is this unreasonable? What's wrong with you? All right, here we go. There's this testimony now where one of your son's former business associates is claiming that you were on speakerphone a lot with them, talking business. Is that what? I never talked business with anybody. And I, I know you'd have a lousy question. Well, what do you? It's why is that a lousy question? Because it's not true. Thank you, Mr. President. I knew you'd have a lousy question. The 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 circus music in the background is makes it uh, a little bit even just just weirder somehow. All right. Ducey gets a lot of points. He's, he's bold. He's not uh, nervous, and he goes right up there. He also is like a, a foot taller. You know, all of the best White House correspondents, most of them, not all, but most, are very, very tall. And that just physically imposing, and they can be seen. They can be seen over the heads of others, and they get called on, and they can make themselves heard, and or everybody's shouting, and he looks, and he sees the one tall guy. Okay, you get to ask the question. That was the case for... Um, Dan Rather, that was a case for uh, Sam Donaldson, David Gregory, all these guys tall. Being tall must be great. All right. We have not had one president. I don't think maybe we had one, one or two out of 47 presidents. We've had like two who are not six foot tall Two. Uh Who was that? I don't know. Truman. So, um, all, right, all right, easy guys. I'm gonna get all these answers. Madison, uh, Madison. Who are you, Matt? How do you know that, Matt? You ever seen Matt? I've never seen a picture of Madison. I never saw a picture of Madison. I think Truman was tiny. I think Carter was like five ten. Um, but you know, and it's just true in life. Taller people, not always, but a lot, kind of get what they want. Um, and sometimes it can go right to their head. I mean, Rex Hoyerman is like six six tall, right? That guy, that crazy guy. Hey, what's the new, what's the latest? There's this big headline in the paper that he was doing weird things, but they're not illuminating what the weird things are. Uh, and they were worried that he was going to kill again. Huh? What is that? I mean, really? Really? Um, and they also said that they wanted him to uh, donate his DNA. Like, don't they just take it from him? Why can't they just take it from him? Um and he didn't want to give it. The lawyer said, no, we're not giving it to you. Well, just take it. I mean, every day you did the thing with the pizza box. Just give him a meal and take the leftovers like you did the last time. Just take it from him. You, when you're in jail, you have virtually no rights. They can listen in on anything, your conversations with your family. I don't think they're supposed to listen to the conversations with your attorney. But anyway, um, Eric Adams, really, 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 the whole world can see it. They can all see what I was telling everybody in 2021. Do not trust this guy. He's goofy. He is absolutely unworthy, unable to do this job. Well, I don't know. He seems to not like crime. Yeah, well, hmm. Um, but he doesn't like cops. <laughs> he only likes cops who, uh, I think the phrase goes, look like him. You know, he got rid of all the white chiefs. He did. Although, uh, base you look at what he's doing. He's getting rid of the white people, and he has a, a documented history of anti-white racism, which is all the rage these days. It's uh, reverse racism or whatever. It's it's a, uh, but um, give me Eric Adams here, um, trying to turn the migrant crisis into some sort of gravy train for himself. Cut eleven. 
If things do not change, we expect to have more than 100,000 asylum seekers in our care by the end of June 2025. Driving projected spending to $6.1 billion. Wait, stop, and stop. That- Didn't he say we have more than 100,000? I thought we had 100,000 here right now. Just take that from the top one more time. He said the other day that we have 97,000 here right now. Sorry, one more time, because that, that's 97,000 is the active number. Cut 11. If things do not change, we expect to have more than 100,000 asylum seekers in our care by the end of June 2025. Right, he's getting the numbers all wrong. He's all mixed up. What I mean, what, this is what you get. This is what you get when you get a, a, a guy like him who's never run anything bigger than a mailroom. I mean, the uh, borough president's office sounds very prestigious, right? It's just a bunch of people. It's like four people, and they write letters and they announce press conferences. That's why he does not know how to solve any problems. He knows how to talk about problems, cannot solve anything. And I went through it. The money he's talking about, the money, $12 billion, is the budget of uh, some medium-sized cities for an entire year. Why does he need all this money? He's trying to rip us all off, the federal government, and uh he's kind of pulling, I think he's pulling an Al Sharpton. This is a shakedown operation. Cut 13. Let me put it in perspective for New Yorkers. For each family seeking asylum through the city's care, we spend an average of $383 per night to provide shelter, food, medical care, and social services. With more than 57,300 individuals currently in our care, on an average night, it amounts to 9.8 million dollars a day this is your idea to put them in the hotels and give them all this stuff by the way there's nothing in the constitution that says they get all of this stuff (laughs) this is an insane phase that we're in right now don't forget he invited them here i heard a good idea today you know uh the other governors have figured this out desantis and uh governor abbott bust them somewhere else delaware or Washington, D.C., make it a beautiful, nice coach bus and um, some other incentive. $9.8 million per day. Spend that on little goodie bags to entice them to go elsewhere. Problem, not totally, but we're a long way to solving it. Be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Remember, there was a time where uh, people, 
um, who had tattoos were like sailors and uh, let's see, uh, longshoremen maybe, Popeye, and that was pretty much it as far as tattoos went. All these pretty girls, young girls in their you know twenties, whatever, early twenties, with the tattoos all over the place. Um, what is going on with that? That is, uh, it's really, really, really taken off. It used to be kind of exceptional or unusual, and now it's, it's almost mandatory. I think most of them are gross. I think it's uh, you're defiling something beautiful, God given, and uh, with a, with a permanent stamp that. Sooner or later, you're probably not going to like, and it's not going to look good as you age at some point, right? It's going to, I don't know, I don't know. Now, some tattoos do have a certain appeal, certain certain times and places or whatever, but um, uh, this is too much. And I think it's another sign of a society in decline. That and the porno all over the place. Uh, not to sound like a prude, and I am no prude, um, but the porno has given all kinds of people uh, all kinds of ideas that they would not have had otherwise, including these women, teachers, who are hitting on the kids in school all the time. It is a national epidemic. It's really a problem. Uh, the pornography, the access that uh, teachers uh, have to students and vice versa with the with the cell phones, something has got, we need a national conversation or a blue ribbon communication, uh, commission, or maybe we need more God, you know, uh, gay pride flags all over the place, all over the place. Talk about your sexuality, talk about gender, talk about, uh, how drag queens speaking to kids is somehow a civil rights issue, but you start talking about the freedom and glory of God. The freedom and peace that's available through God to each and every one of us through his word, uh, through Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You can say Jesus even, uh, and not to do it in a braggadocious way or, a, you know, just, uh, or a, a political way, just as a way to share, as a way to point out, folks, if you want to live forever, this is a great way to do it. This is the way to do it. Um, that's our belief. That's okay. That's okay. You can disagree. I, I, I noticed that you can't disagree with the LGBTQ community. I mean, you can't, you cannot disagree with Black Lives Matter. You cannot. Remember that poor guy in Sacramento? The, uh, what was he? The, the, the rings. It, this happens all over the place, but he's the one I remember the most. It was the middle of Black Lives Matter hysteria in 2020. And what did he write? This is the uh, play-by-play announcer for the Sacramento Kings, and he put all lives matter, and they fired him for it. They fired him for that. That was political. That was pro-Trump, and he couldn't stick around. You know, right now, it's um, there is a reverse campaign of racism all over the place, right? Uh, it's like a caste system, like India. They have the Brahmins, and then they have the untouchables. I forgot what's in the middle. But right now, uh, <laughs> white people, according to the left, white conservative people... The untouchables, the untouchables. Um, real people don't think that way. Normal people don't think that way, no matter what they look like. I'll have more on this Alabama situation when we come back. I figured the whole thing out. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. 
Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. So just like they tried to turn George Floyd into the issue of 2020, uh, this is the issue of 2023, this uh, Montgomery Dock uh Situation. It's really not that much of a situation. I pointed out there have been rumbles all over the place, but they're so trying to racialize it because that's when Democrats can exploit it, make it look like white supremacy is a real thing, and people can get power and money. And by the way, the thing that I was saying earlier about uh, how they're trying to make the, uh, the, the white working class, the untouchables in America, I mean, look at this guy at CNN who happens to be a white reporter, happens to be well, quite liberal in my opinion. I mean, who do you think the bad guy is in this story, all right? Uh, 57 times he talks about the white people, the white people, the white people. Cut 16. The video shows as Pickett is arguing with that white man, another white man, shirtless, rushes in and hits Pickett in the face. Then several other white people join in. Oh, those white people running and punching. And I don't like punching. I don't like any of that stuff. I also don't like seeing a a rumble as national news. Can you imagine... Walter Cronkite covering some street fight in Flatbush, right? I mean, no, of course not. Hey, one other thing here. Um, I'll get to that in a second. Hello, uh, James Flippin. Hey, Greg, good afternoon. Um, would you like to uh, stand by as I take a call or two? I would love to do so. This is Stewart. Hello, Stewart in Mount Vernon, yes. Yeah, good afternoon, uh, Mr. Kelly. I'd like to know... Hey, slow down a little bit. You're very... You, when, when people are as intense as you, it makes me uh, uneasy. I don't know, just... Just take it easy, all right? I can tell you're fired up. Just relax. We got time. I mean, I'm probably going to hang up on you in a moment, but uh, go ahead. Stuart, uh, the reason why I'm, in, I'm an intense individual, I fought when I was 16 in the Golden Gloves and knocked out two guys in the third round. I'd love to challenge you, even with your military expertise. I, I think you're a punk. Oh, I'm you're challenging me, me challenging me to what? Is this Sid Rosenberg? By the just, I mean, wait, you want to you challenge me to what? I would like to get you in the boxing ring. All right, never mind. No, no, I don't have time for that. Gosh, violence, violence. There's nothing. Uh, thanks, Stuart. I had a feeling. Like, look, I'm not going to hang up on you. I'm just going to put you on hold for an hour and a half. All right. Uh, you see what I mean? I do. People um, love fighting. Apparently, no, I, I don't know. Think Sid wants to fight. He did for a moment. He sounded a little bit like just a little bit. Yeah. Um. So what else? In terms of what's happening here? Yeah. Well, I mean, look. I, I from what I understand in the Alabama situation, they're looking at more. Uh, they've identified some more suspects or some of the people involved or whatever it may be. You know, maybe some more arrests were made. I, I don't know. Is it of bad that white I, people? Is it bad that I just haven't really been covering this story in our top of the hour news? Like, I, I don't feel like it's really a news story. I feel like it's talk show fodder for sure because of the stuff you're talking about, the well, cultural implication. But. I mean, um, look, uh, good for you, but ABC Network News uh, certainly thinks it's a it's a big story. Uh, cut nineteen, please. This is ABC. This is the most watched broadcast in the world cut 19 all of a sudden black eyewitnesses who were watching decided to jump in and help the captain running even swimming up to the scene beating back the people who attacked the man one of them using a folded chair to hit someone over the head tonight police say that man with the chair is wanted for questioning now that man with the chair hit and they didn't show this they had the video Hit a woman over the head. 
Quite frankly, I didn't mind the guy getting hit over the head that much because, well, he was one of the fighters. Then there's this woman who just gets hit over the head. What's her crime? She's white. I mean, everybody's, I mean, they started just beating up on random white people. I, I, that's a problem. And the, 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 the news is not pointing that out. Here's, uh, NBC Nightly News, cut 18. This new video shows other men coming to Pickett's aid as the altercation escalates. The unfolding fight, largely along racial lines, fueling questions about possible hate crime charges. Though the chief says there's currently no evidence that would meet the FBI's standard for that. There was no stone unturned. It's always fun, like, hate crime. It seems redundant to me. I mean, it seems very redundant, doesn't it? It does, actually, yeah. I've often been kind of struck by that, where a lot of these... Uh, offenses, whether it's, you know, we recently had a, a stabbing out in Brooklyn that was looked at as a potential hate crime. If you it, stab somebody, you hate them. That's hateful, yeah. If you hit somebody over the head with a chair, you hate them. I think it's implicit. If you kill somebody, hate is probably involved. So, whatever. In that last clip I played, you see people getting hit over the head with chairs, but they don't mention it. They don't mention it. Like, mm-hmm. that. that that's the heart of it. I mean, let's face it, the boat captain... He shouldn't have been attacked. I don't like that he was attacked. I don't like, but in every fight, somebody throws the first punch. That's true. Right? I mean, it's a, so there are fights right now in this city happening right now. Why do they pick ones for the evening news? Why? They pick ones where they can gain political power and money. They being elite media, they being um, bad guy attorneys out there, uh, Al Sharpton, Ben Crump. Um, and also you have a lot of, well, mostly white liberal journalists who have tenuous positions, but they want to keep them. And the way to keep them is to tell a story along these lines. Mm-hmm. And right now, it's not the facts. It's not what happened. It's black people good, white people bad. And you've got to stick to that. If anything deviates from that, you either ignore it, and if it's too much to ignore, you don't cover it. So white on white crime, no story. Black on black crime, no story. Um, black on white crime, no story. White on black crime, that's when you can have some fun. Yeah. That's when you can make money. And as somebody who's worked in newsrooms for the better part of the past decade or whatever it has been, you know, social media really drives the narrative too. Like if you have a video that's going viral on social media or a lot of people are talking about it on social media, fights are happening on social media. For some reason, it's like the news apparatus says, Oh, that's what we have to cover then. If it's big on social media, then it must be big. But that's kind of strange because it's really like a small microcosm of life, right? It's not really what's going on. Well, I mean, what is going on then? You know what I mean? You gotta, you gotta cover something, right? What, what's going, just look out the window and not much is going on, right? Well, but I mean, you know, Every, what? this is a random fight uh, amongst a group of people, right? Like, no, I agree, but you, the people pick and choose, you know, they gotta fill these broadcasts with something, true. you know, and people are talking about stuff. I think social media is a fair barometer of kind of what's going on, kind of. I do mean underline kind of. Mm-hmm. It's not reality. It's a, it's 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 a lot of versions of reality, right? Mm. So I mean, they're gonna. Uh, so I, I I do think it's it's newsworthy for me in that that narrative must be counter. There must be a counter narrative, and that's coming from me. And my counter narrative, quite frankly, is what really happened. It's not neat. It's not clean. It's complicated. They want the white people to be bad, the black people to be good. 
life is that's obviously um ludicrous life is you know life is complicated good yeah, and bad and everybody it's just it's just always it, it it always is anything else i need to know about the uh migrant situation uh in terms of that particular situation nah, nothing new today i guess i mean you know we're Talking about social media, Kai Sanat, you know, the social media influencer tied to that riot in Union Square. He spoke I out like for the first guy. time. I like this guy. You like Kai Sanat? I actually do. I've gotten to know um, a little bit more about him. Mm-hmm. I don't think he wanted any of this nonsense to happen. And um, I think he's an interesting entrepreneurial young guy. Do you have any sound? Do you have him uh, saying stuff? Uh, we do have sound, yeah. I mean, I don't know if that it's uh, queued up right at this second, but we can get it together. Uh, but, you know, he made a, a few, or I, I guess he had a video that came out today, and that's exactly what he said. He said, you know, I don't condone what happened uh, in, in very 22-year-old parlance. He said it was totally uncool for people to have gone uh, and done what they did. So. Uncool is 22-year-old? Is that, that, that's what the young kids Who are else? saying? I'm, I'm pretty sure uncool. only young people say uncool. No, no, that cool has been a thing since like the I know, 1930s. But like the phrase that's really uncool, bro. Like that's something a 22 year old would say, or a 62 year old. <laughs> I mean, that's uncool. Uncool was a thing in the 70s, I, yeah, dude. Cool. That's uncool. Let's hear what uh, Kai Sanat is. That his name? That Go is. ahead. And I want people to know that I had good intentions for this whole thing. Not only that, but I don't condone any of the things that went on that day. None of that is cool. I'm. That's it. I mean, he, he kind of similar comments uh, from there. And it's uncool. Good. Good. He's, yeah, he, he, he didn't want any of that to happen. Yeah, but doesn't he have a certain level of responsibility with that size of audience? Like, you know, you got to know that people are going to show up in Manhattan if you say, come have this party or whatever. That doesn't mean they're going to riot. That doesn't mean they're going to, right? I mean. No, certainly not. He didn't know that they were going to break But, I mean, gatherings stuff. of that size get unruly. How the hell did he know that people were going to jump on cabs and do a dance on a on a Honda Accord roof for no reason, and throw stuff at the cops. Throw stuff at the cops. How did he know that? I don't think he, there's nothing that indicates he wanted that. So, uh, and yeah, there, it was crowded, but just because there were all those people didn't mean they had to uh, start yelling, I mean, start screaming their heads off and throwing stuff at well, cops. Well, I mean, the allegation, I guess, would be that he should have gotten a permit or something like that. All right, so get a permit next time. Yeah. I mean, I do think in America you're allowed to peaceably assemble. I don't think I need a permit for that. I don't I'm not think sure I about that no, 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 no. I can peaceably assemble. I, if you're going to have an event in a park and you're going to like have a certain, you know, then it becomes okay. I want to set up a stand here and right. I want to do this and I want to do that. Well, I mean, I guess that gets to the point of why he had the gathering, right? It was supposedly a giveaway. It wasn't like they were getting together to protest. Look, something. it's a First Amendment right that you can gather and uh, say stuff. I don't need the government's permission to do that. What do you say we have a flash? Rally, right? No, we don't want to do that. Yeah. We don't want to, we well, don't we don't want to, to do it responsibly. Anyway, and I don't have anything to give away right now. No? I don't. We, what? Uh, ABC hats? We gave away all those amazing Cousin Brucey guitars almost, right? That's coming up. That's true. The cu- Cousin the Excuse me. Cousin Brucey is an amazing radio legend, and um, they're honoring him very soon. That's going to be beautiful. All right. Thanks, pal. Uh, oh, one other thing. Mm-hmm. You know the artist who made the, uh, the painting of Barack Obama, his official portrait? Is um very bizarre thing. He's sitting in a floating chair, and there are a bunch of flowers behind him. Yeah, and he's I remember not that. wearing a tie. Right. It's very disrespectful. He should have uh, done. I, I think more a more traditional uh, portrait would have been great. Anyway, the artist's name who did it is uh, Kendi Wiley. Kendi Wiley, 
and people are noticing that the guy's gone uh, a little bit crazy. He's painting all kinds of uh, portraits of uh, beautiful black people, chopping off the heads of not-so-beautiful white people. Yikes. It's a, a theme of his. That's and, nice. And, uh, you know, you, this, I, I'm, why do I talk about, this is, this has gotta be, <laughs> this has gotta be stopped. I am against genocide. All right. No matter what the people look like. All right. I, it, this is not a radical stand. This is a good position to have, no matter what you look like. And that crazy man in South Africa who's a politician is basically saying, I am not calling for the genocide of the white people yet. I am not there yet, but I could be there very soon. We will look at it. <laughs> what? And then the New York Times is writing, he comes at this from an interesting perspective, given the colonial history. Like, shut the hell up. This guy's crazy. Arrest him right now. Is it an international war crimes uh, tribunal? Don't we have an international court in The Hague where that Jack Smith used to work? Doesn't Putin face charges there? You're trumping. You, you, you trump up charges. You come up with all this phony stuff on Trump. This guy right there. Lie down and hand. <laughs> anyway. Well, I hadn't heard about those paintings, but now I have. Yes. It's something, uh, well, you will see yeah, if you watch television. Uh, all right. Thank you Thanks, very, Greg. very much. Hey, Glenn, uh, in Edison, yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, this uh, massive voter fraud that was uncovered in Michigan in October 8th, 2020, uh, nobody's talking about it on the news. Uh, they found this woman uh, brought in 10,000 ballots to the clerk's office, and this other woman called the uh, police. And they found bags of prepaid gift cards, guns with silencers, burner phones from a Democratic-funded organization. Well, you know what you they did it? with you, you know what they did with all those allegations, right? Oh, there's uh, no evidence; it's baseless. Well, look, the guy I know and count on the most right now for this stuff is uh, is Bernie Carrick. Bernie Carrick was investigating with Rudy Giuliani. He should have had the full force and weight of the United States government looking into this stuff. But I think the government uh, wanted to cover all this stuff up and they basically succeeded. I don't know the specifics of what you're talking about. You're right. The mainstream media has uh, probably ignored it. But uh, the conservative media, too, a big chunk of it. I don't know. And look, I can't prove that that election was stolen. I have grave doubts about the fairness of the election. I do. That's an honest statement from me. It deserves more attention. The good news is it's going to get the attention that it deserves in the upcoming trial, if it actually comes to that. Can't believe President Trump. Can't believe President Trump has been indicted all these times. Is going to get indicted again. What proof? What proof do you need that our government is so thoroughly corrupt and anti-Democrat? But you know that John Laurel was not afraid. He said, okay, um, you're going to try to throw President Trump on this stuff because he had concerns about the fairness of ele- the election? Well, let's find out how valid his concerns were. And he's going to go through the evidence of election fraud, which it does exist. Absolutely a thousand percent exists. And maybe we'll get to the bottom of the 2020 election after all. All right. Be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Uh, watching Joe Biden right now lie again on uh, national television. He's there in uh, talking to a veterans group in Utah. I think it's the Veterans of Foreign Wars. And uh, you know, the late, great Bo Biden, um, solid guy by all accounts. He was the attorney general of Delaware, a lawyer, 
and went to Iraq. Didn't have to go to Iraq. He went as a lawyer, which is honorable and, yes, definitely entails risk, but not exactly like a uh, frontline rifleman or anything like that, but doesn't matter. Um, served his country. Great guy. Came back. Um, he died of brain cancer. And Joe has been running around for the past uh, 10 years saying he died because of the burn pits in Iraq. Now, there's no evidence of that. And this issue, I do believe, is being exploited and misrepresented by a lot of people. Um, and Joe Biden does not know that about his son. I have a feeling it has something to do with Joe Biden's genetic uh, situation, the genetic history of the Biden family. Uh, Joe had brain cancer twice in the 1980s. Talked about this uh you know, when the air hits your brain, you're never the same because they did this really brutal uh, surgery on him and probably affected him forever. But and he had that when he was what in his um, in his 40s, in his 40s, brain cancer. That's unusual. And his son died of brain cancer. Well, I think that that's the tie in. And he's out there saying Biden on burn pits. It's personal for my family. This really has warped his view of everything. You know, a leader of the country, he's supposed to be about the country, not himself. He goes to see these uh, Gold Star families, and what does he do? The first words out of his mouth is, my son, Bo, my son, Bo, my son, Bo, died. He even lies and says, my Bo, uh, my son, Bo, died in Iraq. He's done that hundreds of times. No, he died in uh, in in Delaware. He died in a hospital in Delaware, and he wasn't wounded in Iraq, all right? You are hypothesizing. I do believe for political reasons, uh, somehow it makes it, you know, politicians do this all the time. They take a, you know, they take a, a fact. They take actually a solid story. I mean, it's a solid, interesting, good story about his son, and, and sad too, but his son was this great guy and became a lawyer and attorney general and I mean, it's not the biggest accomplishment in the world to become the attorney general of uh, Delaware. If you want to do that, well, <laughs> when your name is Biden, you know what I mean, right? Your dad's a senator. Yeah. But still, I like that guy. I is solid. People have said that about me in my life. I, I know. I know that. I've heard some of that. I like I Hunter. Uh, I'm sorry, Bo Hunter. Hunter's another story. So but why 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 exploit it? Why take it to the why lie about it? He served in Iraq. He came home. He got sick. He died. Talk about your son honestly. You exaggerate for political points, and you exaggerate to neutralize people in front of you. Oh, you think you know grief? Listen to my sob story. Everybody's got a, a, a tough story. Everybody's something bad has happened, and you can't go around saying, well, mine is worse than yours. Maybe it is, but to that person... It's real. It's theirs. It's <laughs> empathy only goes so far. Right, Joe? Right? Right? All about himself. Interesting. You know, they say Donald Trump is the one with the ego. It really is Joe Biden. It really is Joe Biden. You know, you don't have to when you got great big skyscrapers and stuff all over the place. You know, we we know. We know what he's done. But politicians, they are, they're always telling you, I did this, I passed that, I got this money for that bridge. I, blah, blah, blah. They're always telling you, and we don't even know. we got to take their word for it. And most of the time, they're, they're not telling us the truth, right? No. Hey, one other thing. Um, Mark Levin, I catch him here on WABC at night. He's fantastic, of course, and uh, is doing so much for this country. And his radio station is great, but... Uh, he pointed out that the Republican Party is doing absolutely nothing to defend President Trump. And that's a real problem. 
What is the Republican Party focused on right now? I think a good chunk of it is trying to figure out a way, scheme a way to take this nomination away from Trump. They're so obsessed with their silly debate and that debate pledge that they're trying to make everybody sign as if they're fourth graders. Sign a pledge to promise to support the ultimate nominee. Well, maybe what if the ultimate nominee is a lunatic? I don't know. We don't like what is your silly piece of paper? I sign a pledge to read seven books this summer as I'm on the fourth grade summer break. That's the kind of pledge you sign. What's her name? Rana Romney McDaniel. They're just watching. They're just watching this as passive observers. Oh, Donald Trump got indicted again. And Donald Trump. Well, he, no, they should be. This should be a cause of the Republican Party to defend President Trump. If he goes down, the whole country's going down. Be right back. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, just hear the FBI. They shot some guy in Utah. Uh, the FBI raided this home. His name was Craig Robertson, and apparently he was doing some seriously illegal stuff in that he was posting threatening messages. I mean, overtly threatening violence uh, to uh, public officials and uh, the FBI and Joe Biden and Merrick Garland. Look, I can't stand these guys, but you 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 cannot wage violence against them and you cannot threaten them on social media or in any other way. That is against the law, has been against the law for a long time. All right. Now, um, I do, however, want to see the body cam footage. I would like to see the body cam footage of uh, of what went down because I I want to know. Um, I, I initially this seemed very I don't know. They just showed up and uh, shot the guy. I you know you can people post deranged things online if it violates the law. That's one thing. If you post uh, things that are anti uh, Democrat, that has actually received scrutiny in recent years. From federal law enforcement, constitutionally protected free speech. I'd like to know more about what he posted. Looks to me like the stuff that he was posting uh, was uh, did cross the line. Um, and there are ways to deal with that. Absolutely. Um, however, the sentence is not death. And I just want to make sure that this wasn't some uh, some death squad visit that. He violated the law and they decided to serve justice right away. Just, you know, just the way things are going right now. And, uh, it's okay to ask questions. I noticed that they ask, uh, lots of questions about police involved shootings, right? When the police shoot somebody, everybody is all over it. And, uh, then, and maybe right and rightly so. Well, I think we should be all over this one. I think we should be all over this one. And everyone now I see all, all across the left, they're trying to say that this man was motivated by Trump. His hatred motivated by Trump. You know what? There are kooks out there, and there are always going to be kooks. Kooks on the left, kooks on the right, kooks in the middle, kooks who are not apolitical, kooks who have never voted, kooks are hyperpolitical. One of the worst kooks I'm thinking of lately, got no attention, was, uh, what was his name again? Frank James. Remember the guy who blew up the R train? Yeah, brought a little bomb down there on the R train. And he, uh, he made video after video racist vitriol and um but that is anti-white racism which is ignored hey you know who jamal bowman is he's the congressman up in uh the bronx and you know it's interesting when stuff gets local stuff gets real and these guys when they're on national talk shows will be 
oh, we must accept all these migrants. But when they start showing up in your own neighborhood, that's when it gets real and they start to change their tune a little bit. Now, Jamal Bowman is basically a socialist from what I've seen and a little bit crazy. But is he talking sense here for a change? Democrat Congressman Jamal Bowman of the Bronx, cut 10, please, cut 10. We need leadership from President Biden, period. Democrats are looking bad right now uh, in New York State, and that's unacceptable when we have to win at least four congressional seats to take back the House. So hopefully the president is listening. Okay, well, all right, forget about quality of life, forget about all the other issues. We look bad and we want to win races, so, hey, whatever the motivations are, with Jamal Bowman, it's clearly uh, the way we look and we want to win these. (laughs) Not exactly uh, caring about the people, but whatever, okay, a lot of politicians are motivated by political stuff, whatever it takes to get the job done. So we give, what do we give uh, to Jamal Bowman on that uh, statement? A B plus, maybe a B, maybe a B. Thank you. Who gets an A plus every time he opens his mouth, though, because he is so on fire right? Byron Donalds, Republican of Florida. This is one of my favorites. This guy is vice presidential material. Cut seven, please. Cut seven. This is all payback for the millions and millions. We've now documented $20 million, and we're still investigating, by the way. This is payback for the millions of dollars that the Biden family received because of their access to the brand, to the big guy being Joe Biden. Hunter Biden has no business, folks. Joe Biden has no business. There were no services being delivered except for access. Good stuff. And he's totally right. I even hear, though... On Fox, well, there's no smoking gun proof that ties this to Joe Biden. Here's the smoking gun proof, actually. Everybody was getting money in the Biden family except Joe Biden. Like, that's the red flag. Romania, money, millions of dollars coming from Romania, Kazakhstan, Ukraine, China, and the money going to uh, Joe Biden's granddaughter, uh, Joe Biden's uh, other granddaughter. Hunter Biden's ex-wife, Hunter Biden's girlfriend, Hunter Biden's current wife, uh, Hunter Biden's sister-in-law, his sister-in-law. I mean, all kinds of crazy people getting money from uh, Ukraine and Kazakhstan. And we have that text message of Hunter complaining that he had to give half of his money to his father. That's evidence. They may not like it, but that is evidence. Byron Donalds, please cut eight. Through the account scheme that the Biden family set up when Joe Biden was vice president, the money is filtered through different accounts, uh, different members of the family are getting checks, etc. And so that's what that is what you see consistently as you go through this. We're in the process of continuing our work of now going through subpoenas for some of these financial documents so we can track the money down. The White House says Joe Biden never got a dime. I don't believe it. And at the end of the day, if Hunter Biden was spending money for his dad on behalf of his dad, his dad doesn't have to take a dime. That's facilitating a bribe from the president of the United States through his son. Oh, yeah, that's a great point. And we know that Hunter was paying for stuff for upkeep of the suburban Wilmington house. They love to say they live in Wilmington in part because Wilmington is uh, more than half black, uh, but he doesn't live in Wilmington. He lives in a suburb of Wilmington called Greenville, which is 2% black. Interesting, huh? <laughs> Little game that Joe plays every time. Everything, everything about his life is uh, some sort of uh, scam. 
And that that's a very interesting point from Byron Donald. So give me one more here. Cut nine. When you have these questions, they have no response or they slow walk a response. And it is outrageous. If the president of the United States is compromised, the American people need to know about it. Yeah. Uh, and they're doing everything they can to censor it. Even Fox News is so unreliable on this story. Some people over there are great. And others are, they're ignoring it. And it's very, very strange. Hey, here's something that's cut and dried as well. $142,000 came from a oligarch from Kazakhstan. And what the hell Hunter Biden and the Bidens are doing with Kazakhstan? $142,000, which was the exact amount of the car that Hunter Biden bought the next day. A Porsche 911. I looked it up. I looked at this Porsche. Uh, I think Porsches are overrated. They're so, it looks so small. This Porsche is so small. It has no back seat. It's just too, I mean, I don't, and how fast can you go? The speed limit is 65. What, what good is it if this car can go 150 miles per hour? What good is it? You can't do that anywhere. I don't like, uh, I don't like those types of cars. Anyway, it looks like a dinky car, but the price tag is $142,000. Hunter got that from this Kazakhstan guy. And the very next day, he buys the car for $142,000. The next week, the Kazakhstan guy gets to go to Cafe Milano with Hunter and Joe Biden. You think he just happened to be there? Did he just happen to be there? The other thing is the the Borina, what's her name again? Boratina, the mayor of Moscow's wife, sent $3.5 million to Hunter. Now, nobody could figure that one out. What is that? She is at the uh, Cafe Milano. We believe that she took the picture of Joe Biden with the Kazakhstan guys, which is interesting. Isn't there tension sometimes in Kazakhstan? Anyway, she takes the picture. And what would she have given that kind of money for? Well, when the uh, sanctions went into effect after the Ukraine invasion by Russia, uh, remember he went after all the Russian oligarchs? Well, this Boratina is definitely an oligarch. That's the kind of category you would put her in. She wasn't sanctioned. She's free to travel the world and buy stuff in other countries. She's not on the list. That $3.5 million, I think that's kind of relevant, don't you? Right? It's all fitting together. And what the left will say and what people on Fox News will say, certainly CNN, MSNBC, they'll say, well, there's no proof that he broke a law. Number one, I don't buy that. And let's pretend for a moment that he didn't break a law. There is overwhelming proof that he lied to the American people. When it came to Hunter, when it came to money, he said nobody made money from China other than Trump. And that this is overall scuzzy behavior that we don't like and that we would reject him. We would reject him for this. We are rejecting him for this. And really fast, though, by the way, did take a look at the um, uh, the Weather Channel interview where he seemed utterly and completely exhausted and not even all that into it. Sandra, hello. Hello, Greg. Um, I was reading all about uh, Jack Smith this morning, and I'm, I have a stomach ache now over him. But I wanted to say that Abraham Lincoln said, "We the people ha- are the are the rightful masters of both Congress and the courts, not to overthrow the Constitution, but to overthrow the men who pervert the Constitution." So. I'm thinking about Jack Smith, and it's like him having this job is like putting a square peg in a round hole. I don't think he's the right choice for this 
for so many reasons. If you and I, I wish everyone could look them up. But there's nobody, there's nobody who's the right choice for this. It's uh, the the prosecution of Donald Trump. There's nobody. This he didn't do anything wrong, so there should be nobody. But yes, he is uh, unqualified by definition by statute. It says right there in the regulation on appointing a special counsel that. He must have a reputation, a public reputation for impartiality. This guy does not have that. He has the opposite. That can be, I mean, it's, it's, it's quantifiable. And the whole thing with his wife, his wife is the, uh, uh, co-producer with Michelle Obama. They made movies together. You can't have this guy. It's, um, it's against the law. And, uh, wait, what other thing? Hey, wait, Cheech, what, thank you, Sandra. Cheech, what do you want to say? Hi. Give me take my call. Uh, listen, I just wanted to clarify that situation in Alabama. Uh, there was a little bit more to that that had happened that you brought to light. I saw a police press conference from there the other night, and they explained that the riverboat was stuck out on the water for 40 minutes. Yeah, I know all that. I know all that. And it, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not relevant. It's not, I mean, look. There was a fight. I think those guys without shirts who happened to be white were wrong. Uh, most likely. I don't have all the evidence, but they were wrong. And I didn't like that they ganged up on that guy. All right? But that happens a million times all over the place. It just happens. There are rumbles. There are fights. There's not a hint of – there's no evidence of racial animus, actually. They found some guy messing with their boat. They probably had a few beers in them, and they they uh, they hit him and they beat him. And they, uh, but not that bad to be honest. He was he was he was okay afterwards. I know all that stuff. My gripe is that it has been blown out of proportion, and they're um, portraying one side as totally good and one side as totally bad. And the people who came to this guy's aid, he they came to. Well, no, there are some people who just came to kick ass. To kick white people ass. I don't know if you've seen these videos, but there's a lot more going on. You just mentioned the basic. I know that we got that out of the way right off the bat. Why aren't they showing the, the black guy with the chair hitting the white woman over the head? Don't you think that's relevant? I mean, I, you could kill somebody that way. So I know all that other stuff and I have talked about it. I've showed it in video, whatever. It's a rumble. It's a fight. It's unfortunate. Is it national news? It shouldn't be, but they're trying to exploit it for money and power, Cheech. So there. <laughs> the black gentleman was not a security guard. He was the co-captain on that ship. After the captain I, I, of the ship. I, I know that. I know that. I want you to go a little bit further into this fight, because that part of the fight is over in about 45 seconds. The problem not only did the men beat this guy up, the women joined in, too. Well, wait, you say the women. There was the women. There was a woman who, yes, I saw that. Look, go to my Twitter if you want, at Greg Kelly USA. All right? Look, just because those guys were in the wrong, that does not mean that other people who were not actually initially assaulted or bothered or affected can grab chairs and start hitting any white person they see over the head. Now, whatever happened to that guy, the boat captain, and it shouldn't have happened, by the way. I don't like it, but um, it doesn't. It's not on the same level as hitting somebody over the head with a chair. You can kill somebody that way. You can absolutely kill. The, the idea that you won't kill somebody that way. Did you see that, Cheech? Did you see the chair over the head? 
Yes, I did. And you're okay with that? You think that's not part of the story? You know yeah, it was, was ignored? Happy. You think it was ignored by the fake news? Oh, help it. him. He could have ended up dead, that co-captain. You, all right, all right, all right, all right, no, 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 no. There's one thing, punches and that kind of thing. Look, it's all part of the story. I'll give you. That's the, we, they, they covered the hell out of it, right? They covered it up and down, right? The boat captain just doing his job. I heard all that stuff. Great. But what about this other guy who's not the boat captain who's grabbing a chair and the two women who are kicking the hell out of that, out of that woman and trying to throw her into the water? That's all okay. You think that's all okay because those good old boys, whatever the hell they are, those drunk rednecks, and they probably were. I don't know. I'm using some, uh, some slurs here. But because they attacked that guy, it's okay for all hell to break loose and and all that rage against people who were not there, who were not there. They're down the dock. I don't think so, man. There was one. I think the woman in the red dress was trying to break up the fight. Cheech, I don't think you have thought about this as deeply and as analytically as I have. But that's okay. That's okay, Cheech. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Now, Clarence Thomas, Clarence Thomas, an American hero, the Supreme Court justice. Um, first of all, I agree with all of his rulings. I just, hey, look, I'm a conservative, and uh, uh, he is true blue. I just love this guy. Uh, you ever read his rulings? His rulings make sense. A lot of the others don't. I mean, just in terms of comprehension, and they, they, some of them just, it's like they're speaking another language. He's much more direct. Now, Clarence Thomas went through something so awful during his confirmation hearings. Now, Clarence Thomas, why they hate him so much, the left, is because he's a black man who's conservative. And that really threatens liberals in America. They can't stand that. His existence undermines so much of their arguments, which is hinged on victimhood and big government, and that the government is the entity that can pull you up. You can pull yourself up? No, the government. The government is is the uh, big brother. Well, why is he in the news again? He's kind of always in the news. ProPublica publication is giving him a hard time for get this he was on a private jet and he was on vacation with a rich guy and he received a gift here and there this is totally common totally typical and quite frankly it's actually a good thing and i'll tell you why in a second he deserves those things and it's expected that he takes those things Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. I, I got to wrap up this uh, Justice Thomas stuff, and then I actually want to hear from Justice Thomas, one of the most powerful statements ever uttered on Capitol Hill. Um, but all right, so here's what all the fuss is about. Uh, he accepted uh, free trips on a uh, on a jet and uh, vacations and some other stuff. Uh, guess what? He's allowed to do that. They're encouraged to do it. They have this hospitality um, kind of clause about stuff that they're allowed to accept. It's far more permissive than other government officials. Now, why is that? Um, well, it's kind of understood and has been for a long time that when you join the court and everybody wants to be on the Supreme Court for some reason, right? They all, they, they want that job. It's one of the, it's one of the most coveted jobs in the world. 
A lawyer's dream, judge's dream. One day I'll be on the Supreme Court. Wow, that'll, and then everything will be great. And a lifetime appointment at $200,000 a year. Now, for these high-powered lawyers, that's no money. That's zero money. I mean, at a minimum. Justice Thomas. No, no, no. Who's the uh, chief judge? Uh, 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 Roberts. I remember this. In 2005, when he was appointed, he was making a million dollars a year in 2005. Partners in major law firms can make $7 million a year, $10 million a year. All right, so this is an arrangement that's been in effect for a long time, and they actually it's actually written out about this very permissive hospitality thing and the, the things that they can accept, um, and it includes trips and things like that. So because you got to compensate these guys some way. I noticed this a long time ago because whenever uh, whenever a justice had a health episode, this is like in the 80s, I noticed they were always – in some foreign country giving a speech. <laughs> they were always in uh, Austria. They're always in Japan. And like, oh, oh, that's it. And they get a big summer break. They're off from like May to October. So they had to give these guys some perks because it's only $200,000 a year, uh, which is a fine salary for most people. But when you can get $7 million, $10 million in the private sector, it's not that much money, okay? And uh, for these people to go off on him, they're doing it because he's a black conservative. All right, because in about 10 seconds of research, they can find out what I just told you. And I think some of them actually know that. Now, Mika Brzezinski, who is such a disgrace on that uh, morning Joe show, the both of them. Today, I saw her saying he oh, going off about how he accepted a ride on a private jet and he shouldn't be doing that. Well, for about three years, they had a guest on that show by the name of Ratner. Uh, Stephen Ratner, I think his name is. Yeah. R-A-T-T-N-E-R. Big finance guy, kind of a jerk in my opinion, but whatever. I don't want to be too mean. Um, big finance guy owns a jet, owns a jet. And everybody was wondering, why is this uh, dweeby guy showing up on the Morning Joe show all the time? Because he was giving rides to Mika and Joe on the jet. All right, that's how the way that <laughs> didn't mention that. Did not mention that. Uh, that's the way the game is often played in the swamp and in New York and a lot of other places. Uh, all right, we're ready for this statement. So he's under fire. Anita Hill comes forward with that, by today's standards, a relatively innocuous story. <laughs> right? I uh, found a hair on my Coke. I mean, anyway, the whole world was demanding that he withdraw his nomination, even some Republicans. And he said, screw it. I'm going to make my own statement. And here he goes. 1991, the fall of 1991, Clarence Thomas, recently nominated by George H.W. Bush for the Supreme Court. Yesterday, I called my mother. She was confined, unable to work, and unable to stop crying. Enough is enough. Mr. Chairman, I am proud of my life. Proud of what I've done and what I've accomplished, proud of my family. And this process, this process, is trying to destroy it all. No job is worth what I've been through, no job. No horror in my life has been so debilitating. Confirm me if you want. Don't confirm me if you are so led. But let this process end. Let me and my family regain our lives. I never asked to be nominated. It was an honor. 
Little did I know the price, but it is too high. Mr. Chairman, I am a victim of this process. My name has been harmed. My integrity has been harmed. My character has been harmed. My family has been harmed. My friends have been harmed. There is nothing this committee, this body, or this country can do to give me my good name back. Nothing. I will not provide the rope for my own lynching or for further humiliation. I am not going to engage in discussions, nor will I submit to roving questions of what goes on in the most intimate parts of my private life or the sanctity of my bedroom. These are the most intimate parts of my privacy, and they will remain just that, private. Wow. Wow. You know who's the chairman of that committee? Joe Biden. He was sitting there all pompous looking at him, and he had a problem on his hands because that statement, he was confirmed, but I think forever scarred psychologically by that experience. God bless Justice Clarence Thomas. All right, folks, I got to talk about this. Um, you know, a recent agreement with Saudi Arabia and America and Israel uh, was reached, and uh, you have seen that relations seem to have been normalized between Saudi Arabia and Israel, and there's a lot going on. And Israel, I'm sorry, Saudi Arabia has been a strong ally of the United States. Israel, too. Um, when we went into uh, to defend Kuwait during the Gulf War, where were all our troops stationed? Saudi Arabia. The Saudis allowed that to happen. Uh, you can go back, George H.W. Bush, Clinton, George W. Bush, Obama, Trump, now Biden, uh, very tight with the Saudi royal family. But you got to consider this, um, 19 hijackers on September 11th, well, I think all, almost all of them, 18 of the 19 perhaps, maybe all 19, came from Saudi Arabia. And there have been long-standing questions about what the Saudi government did um, about that and what they knew before 9-11 um, and what they've done since and how transparent have they been. And a lot of 9-11 families do not like uh, what's been happening between America and the Saudis. They want answers. They're not getting them. We're joined now by Brett Eagleson. He is the president of 9-11 Justice. More on what that is exactly in a moment. But Brett actually lost his father, Bruce in the towers, and Brett was just 15 years old on September 11th. Brett Eagleson, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well, Greg. Thank you for having me. Real before we start, 9/11 Justice. There are some organizations that you know support the families. Just tell us what is the mission of 9/11 Justice. Our mission is to educate America and educate the world on the role that the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia played in the attacks of 9-11. And, you know, you, you touched on it a little bit. It's actually 15 of the 19 hijackers are for the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, but we know so much more um, than, than, than just that. That is just merely the tip of the iceberg. What we've learned over our 22-year odyssey in pursuit of justice and answers 
is that our very own FBI investigated the Saudi role in 9-11 all the way up until 2016. So the FBI started a secret investigation named Operation Encore. The reason it's called Encore was it it's because it was the Encore to the 9-11 Commission. So a lot of these Encore agents have since retired. They've come forward. They started working for the families. Um, and, and they've helped us pursue our own investigation using Encore as a guide, getting these, these Encore documents declassified. We now know that there were 12 Saudi government officials here in the United States supporting the hijackers. And what I mean by supporting, I mean signing them up for English lessons, making sure that they had a place to live, giving them money, um, um, making sure that they knew how to navigate uh, Western culture. So it's been said by one FBI agent who's gone on record uh, um, under oath. It's been said that if it were not for the support network supplied by these Saudi government officials, the 9-11 hijackers would have had a 0% chance of success. So we know this, we know this based on the testimony of this. How many FBI agents have, have said that? How is, is that just based on, on what this individual has said? And forgive me, is there more than one? How do we know that what this guy is saying is true? Well, actually, so that, that, that is just, that is just a quote from one senior level FBI um, member. His name was Stephen Moore. He, he signed that affidavit and declaration in support of our lawsuit. But, but so much more than that, we have documents from the FBI investigation, which I referenced Operation Encore. We have those documents now declassified. Now, by and large, there are still complete redactions within these documents. I was with Senator Ron Johnson um, three weeks ago in Washington, and I shared with him, you know, the amount of information that the FBI is still willing to give us. And him and Senator Blumenthal have agreed to team up to support our efforts to get more of these documents out. Why is it 22 years later, even despite a presidential executive order, the documents we're getting from our own DOJ and our own FBI are still completely, in, 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 in a lot of cases, heavily redacted. So this is not a partisan issue. This is not a Republican issue. This is not a Democratic issue. This is an American issue. And we see this through all aspects of government. You know, um, the FBI it's it does whatever the hell it wants to do and it seems like it answers to nobody and and senators on both sides of the aisle are extremely and exceedingly frustrated at the level of cooperation that the fbi has given to the 9-11 families from the very little bit that we do have however we can say that we we can say definitively and confidently there were at least a dozen saudi government officials who were helping these hijackers so for me and i hope for a lot of people that that should raise a lot of uh, that, that should raise a lot of hairs on the back of people's necks is that we really finally need to have accountability and closure. And that's what 9-11 justice is all about. It's about putting pressure on government officials. It's, and it's about educating America. And it's about hopefully one day seeing the kingdom of Saudi Arabia say, you know what, 22 years ago, w- we're sorry. You know, we, we, we had bad actors in our government. We were being duplicious. We didn't do enough to stop it. Um, you know, I think we all want to move on. I think we all want peace. I think the last thing the family members want is to keep fighting this. We would love our chance for justice and our chance for, for, for vindication. You've been looking at this for a long time. I mean, what, what's the worst case scenario? Like you made that case and there's a lot of evidence is the 12 intelligence officials in America, but what, what else would they, why would they be doing that? Like what would their motivation be? As I said earlier, I mean, 
they were yeah. they're our ally. Uh, they 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 support us. We support them. Ronald Reagan, remember, sold them the AWACS jet. Uh, we get we've been giving them military hardware for decades. They let us have big bases over there. Yeah. Uh, why why would they do this? Well, and that that's a that's a complicated question and even more complicated answer. But let me try to let me try to sum it up as easily as I can. It's no secret that. Saudi Arabia stabilizes world oil markets. It's no secret that they buy hundreds of billions of dollars of U.S. weapons and Western weapons. So there's a cozy relationship at the tops of each of our governments. But when you look at the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, there's really two elements within the government. There's the political side and there's the religious side. And the kingdom of Saudi Arabia can't function without the other. So so the side that helps us in cooperating with anti-terror and the side that stabilizes world oil markets and the side that engages with us to buy weapons and have all these alliances is different than the side, the religious side, that funds radical Wahhabi terrorism, that, that, that pushes the most radical form of the Quran. So you can't look at Saudi Arabia or that one side in a vacuum. There's a cancer woven within the government. And it's from that element of that government, which led to the 9-11 hijackers, that element was in the government. And like you said last night when I was on your show, the United States government is a very tricky and complicated thing, as is the Saudi government. There's elements weaved within that, within that government, and that is the bad apple within the government that we're after. And Osama bin Laden, I believe, his stated motivation for 9-11, um, may he rot in hell, oh, by the way, was right. he was upset that... There was this cozy relationship between America and Saudi Arabia. He abhorred that there were U.S. troops in Saudi Arabia and all that stuff, right? Yes, he did. I, I believe, and, and you got to remember, I was only 15 years old at the time, so I was probably more interested in in in, in, in uh, facing girls in the Boston Red Sox than I was about what Osama bin Laden was up to. But what I've learned since then is that you're right. He was thrown out of Saudi Arabia. The Saudis wanted to distance himself from him. Um, uh, he founded Al Qaeda, um, but but really by and large, he he himself never really took full credit for the attack. Um, what we've learned is that Al Qaeda had a lot of help from the Saudi government, and they had uh, a lot of money donated to them through through princes and other things and charities that that were part of the Saudi government. But really, when you boil it down, when you look at what the FBI documents say, in a nutshell, they say that 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 these elements within the Saudi government used the network of embassies here in the United States to funnel support and resources to those hijackers. And that's really what that's the main issue that that we're after is that there has to be some level of accountability and responsibility for what that country did, because we it can't we can't just be step back and say, oh, you know what, you could attack us 22 years ago and kind of turn a blind eye to it because you buy a lot of weapons yeah. or turn a blind eye to it because, you know, you guys pump a lot of oil. That, that, that just can't be what we stand for. Absolutely not. We need to know everything, everything. Well, I support what you're doing. Go to 911justice.org, 911justice.org, and uh, more information there. Brett Eagleson, thank you so much, pal. Uh, appreciate it. Yeah, thanks again for having me. You got it. You got it. Man, what an expert, right? Knows that stuff cold. Uh, all right, your calls when I come back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. All right, let's see who's on the phone. Uh, Sharon is calling all the way from Michigan. Hi, Sharon. Hi there. I'm calling with a small correction so that you don't get accused of giving false information. Hmm. Um, Jumping Joe, our president, uh, had 
aneurysms, which is different from cancer. Oh, I said and, cancer. Yeah, I knew there was something in his brain. Uh, aneurysm, cancer. He definitely had brain surgery. All right, so it was aneurysms, not cancer. And, uh, you know, I think like heart disease, aneurysms can can run in the family. And uh, the whole idea that uh, whatever afflicted Bo happened in Iraq, you know, he doesn't know that. And he's running around saying it. Uh, he died of some brain affliction. Uh, Bo did, and his dad almost died in the 1980s from a brain affliction. Anyway, Sharon, thank you for calling and straightening me out. Everything else good? Uh, considering the world, yes, I guess. All right. <laughs> Hang in there. Where is Birmingham? Upper, lower? Where is that? Oh, it's outside of Detroit, Bloomfield Hills, okay. actually. I oh, live in. That's, that's Romney country. Um, uh, please. Okay, sorry to, <laughs> sorry to bring that miles, up. Thank you, thank you. It's a couple miles north. All right, thank you very <laughs> much. Uh, Colleen is standing by. Hi, Colleen. Oh, hi, Greg. I got so much to say now because you just had on the 9-11 guy. You All right, we, got, up, we don't have much time, though. Keep going. Okay, look up Adnan. Um, the, his name is Jafar the Pilot. He was spotted over in Kern County at China Lake, which is a military base out in the Navy. He was on the be on the lookout list for the FBI, and a couple spotted him two times, reported it to the FBI back in 2006 or five, and they did nothing about it. They This couple was terrified for their lives. All right, Jafar, I'm going to look it up. What else? For the pilot. Okay, then the John Sullivan. He's on. He's standing. He's from Salt Lake City, which is where this this man was just killed by the FBI. Did you say John he, Sullivan? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the guy. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. The guy who took the videotape of um, Ashley Babbitt being killed. He's a Black Lives Matter fanatic, and uh, you're right. In the summer, I think of 2020, he's standing up on a van right outside the White House talking about how they have to drag Trump out of the White House and kill him. He said that stuff out loud, and uh, that's against the law. You're not allowed to threaten federal officials like that. Strangely enough, this guy has not been prosecuted. He's just kind of floating around. Uh, Who the hell is John Sullivan? Very strange. And the Utah guy does kind of conjure a certain comparison. Colleen, thank you for that. No problem. Uh, Greg in Vernon, New Jersey. Hi. Uh, hi, Greg. Thank you for taking my call. Um, we we have obviously so many problems to even mention, and, and put a bullseye on any of them is just is too much. I, I think we're coming up on the 2000th anniversary of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and I think we should be talking about that. And I think that we can do a slow roll to that day. Wait a second. Wait, wait, a... wait, 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 wait. Uh, didn't we have the 2000th anniversary uh 23 years ago. I don't know. Uh, he was 33 years old when, when he was crucified. I so know, right but, now it's, but, but it's 2023 A.D. after death, I thought. Or is that Anno Domini? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, no, you're right. So uh, 2,000 years ago from that day is 2033. So we're 10 years away from it. Is that how it works? Yeah. Oh, all right, all right. Uh, huh, I didn't know that. All right, man, we got it. Well, listen, not just get ready for that. Get ready for it every single day, right? Get in the word, please, please, please. I certainly need it after the way I talked to some of you today. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'll see you later. Thank you.